0: Let's go ahead and look at our passage uh, for today, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through verse 12. Let's look at it. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoners. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made, made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was of things, but I'm not ashamed, apostle and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed because I know whom I believe, And persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we gather together uh, as a church this morning uh, to hear your word. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you always remind us of the gospel, the good news. Of all that you have accomplished in and through your son the Lord Jesus. Lord, and we just acknowledge right now that, that we gather together in your presence, in the presence of the living God, of the Creator God, of the eternal God, Lord, and, and your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, and 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 all the all the angels and, and everybody who's been redeemed down through the centuries, and everyone who gathers together uh, uh your body your church all around the world today or that we stand with you you stand with us and we don't stand alone and we don't have anything to be afraid of and you have not given us a spirit of fear a spirit of power and love and a sound mind i pray you would open our eyes to see beautiful things from your word this morning In jesus name amen all right so uh we uh, are continuing to look at the book of 2 Timothy, and we've titled this series uh, Vintage, Seasoned Words uh, to the Church. And that's what we've been looking at for the past uh, couple weeks. Um, uh, for the past couple years, years, uh, there's a, there a website that I, that I check out at the beginning of the year that has uh, their list of best movies for the previous year. So this year it was uh, best movies of, of uh, 2022 and they have some documentaries that they also mentioned. And one of them caught my eye, and here's the title. Uh, untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. And uh, the, the Untold uh, series is, is a series of documentaries, uh, uh, are untold sports stories. And this story was about a famous college football player, a guy named Manti Teo. And it was early 2000s, he, um, I was playing for Notre Dame, and, and it's about his kind of uh, journey to the, to the NFL, and, and uh, uh, he had everything going for him. He was at the top of his game. He, he was a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, he was playing for the uh, national uh, championship. He was guaranteed first-round draft pick, but for several years, he had developed a relationship uh, with the girl online, or at least that's what he thought. So at the height of his uh, college career uh, he suffered the loss of his grandmother and supposedly his girlfriend on the same day and the news was covering all this because he was like dedicating uh, the rest of his season and and the championship game and all this to uh, these two individuals until it all kind of came to light and uh, you can kind of uh uh, guess what? What it was from the title of the documentary, uh, his girlfriend did not exist. Uh, he got scammed. Uh, he was as uh, what's called catfished. Uh, the, the, it was someone else uh, uh, trying to play with him and manipulate him. Uh, so this person did not exist, but and just trashed him. and the media uh, caught wind of this and just trashed him. Right? It, and and they just. They just shamed this poor, uh, this poor guy, and, and I watched it and I thought, I felt so bad for the guy, right? Uh, uh, because uh, they, just, they just heaped shame upon him, right? And um, that's what our passage is about today. It's, it's talking about shame. Look, look at what it says in, uh, in verse eight. So don't be ashamed. Do you see that? It's in the New Testament. It is in the uh, second part of the, uh, the Bible. So, the Apostle Paul here is writing from jail to this young pastor, Timothy, who he has uh, mentored and encouraged him, listen, don't be ashamed, Jesus, don't be ashamed of me even just because I'm I'm locked up for this. And this is the second letter that he wrote to Timothy. That's why it's called Second uh, Timothy. So, shame is something that they dealt with way back in the day in the first century, but... Shame is also something that we got to deal with uh, today as well. And that's because shame is stubborn. Uh, shame is stubborn. All right, that's the first thing I want us to really consider here this morning is that shame um, is stubborn. Let me, and let me be clear what I mean by shame. Because yeah, it can be kind of confusing guilt, shame, all this. So shame is what you feel when other people either know or think you've done something wrong. That's what shame is. Other people know something about you. Or they at least think you've done uh, something wrong. Shame is a public thing. Shame is what happened to Tateo. Uh, the whole public and all of, our, all of America uh, knew about this situation and he was just shamed. Shame is a social thing. And it's something that doesn't seem to want to go away. It happened then, still happens today. Um, you guys know that I have a a, 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 a dog named uh, a Great Dane named Lulu, and Lulu likes to lay landmines in my yard, right? Uh, heaping piles of dog poo, right? And if you're not careful, careful, you will step in one, and sometimes you don't even realize you've done that, right? Until this this there's a, there's something that there's a smell um, that just won't go away. Right? And then you realize you stepped in one of her landmines. It's just awful. All right? And shame is like that. Right? Shame is stubborn. Uh, it, it won't go away. Um, and, you know, we've, uh, we try to get rid of it in all kinds of different ways. We try to clean it up, try to remove the odor, uh, but it just doesn't want to seem to, to go away. And, and here's a couple ways, uh, real quick, that we try to get rid of it. We try to psychologize shame away. Uh, So there's a very popular uh, website called uh, Psychology Today. And uh, I went up on there just in in a search, shame. This is an article popped up. Here's what it said. Research headed by Montana State University suggests that you can greatly reduce the shame you feel by one simple thing. It's that simple. One simple thing. Here it is. Just be yourself. Yeah, just be yourself. You know? And then all of a sudden the shame will, will go away. Here's the question, though. Does that work? Does it really work? Right? Um, y- y- listen. The question is, what happens when, when being yourself is actually... So people are themselves, they hurt other people. And that's why we have places called jail. Right? Because people are just being themselves way too much and they end up hurting uh, people and, and causing lots of uh, carnage. Right? That's, so that's one uh, way that we try to deal with shame. Another way is we try to leave it in the past. We try to progress uh, past it and leave it in the past. So some people think that if we just get rid of religion out of our culture, if we just get rid of tradition, right, then we won't have to deal with uh, shame uh, anymore, right? But uh, just think about it for a second. Think about it for a second. Are people increasingly being shamed in our culture or not? I mean, think about it. I think it's one, it's, it's one of the weapons that people use uh, most frequently in our, our, our culture to, uh, to inflict pain or, or, or whatever, shame upon those that they don't, there's not much conversation going on anymore. It's just shame upon those uh, who, we don't disagree, who we don't agree with. We try to legalize it. We try to legalize our, our shame of things that were considered shameful in the past. We just legalize those things and say, well, now it's not shameful anymore uh, just because we, we legalized it. All right, um, and that's, there, there's a list of things that we could we could uh, talk about in, in, th- in that regard. Um, how about we just uh, start with the legalization of medical marijuana, just because today's gonna be fun. You guys okay with that? Okay, here's the problem with that. The problem is there's, there's virtually no scientific evidence that shows that medical marijuana is actually helpful for anything, right? But we legalize it, uh, we legalize it anyway, and, and, and listen, um, you know, I've, I've worked in the mental health substance abuse field for like uh, two decades, and people, uh, uh, this is, people love to argue with me uh, about this. So here's the deal, if you, you disagree with me, okay, if, here's, here's the reality. It doesn't matter how high you get. You, you're going to come down and the shame is still going still to be there, right? It doesn't really uh, ultimately touch uh, the, root of, the root of our shame. Shame is stubborn. And he, see here's the prevailing mindset in, in America. The prevailing mindset is you better leave me alone and let me do whatever I want to do. This is the way people think. This is this is where we've come to as a society leave me alone and let me do what I want. right And that, the, the, the problem with that is is that um, we end up uh, being, we're deeply divided and we shame each other so, you leave me alone, let me do what I want, and we divide up into all these little groups and we just heap piles of uh, shame upon each other, and that leaves us confused um, and angry. I want you think about this for a second. Do you think there's anything that people ought to be ashamed of? Just think about it. Is there anything that you think, shame on that person, shame on them for doing that? The question is, how do you know? By what standard um this past Monday was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, in August of 1963, he found himself locked up in a jail cell, in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was locked up uh, because he had been participating in some demo- demonstrations, nonviolent demonstrations against segregation. And uh Dr. King wrote a letter from, from that jail cell called Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And I highly recommend it. If you've never read that uh, as a Christian, that's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. And he wrote it in response to a public statement of eight white pastors in the South. See, Dr. King and the civil rights demonstrators broke laws. They broke the segregation laws and these white pastors are like, why are you breaking these laws which everyone else thinks are shameful? They think what you're doing is shameful and you're breaking these laws and here's his, his response was this How does one determine when a law is just or unjust or maybe for our purposes How do we determine between something that is shameful and something that is not And this is what he says? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God, right? You see, Dr. King was a black Baptist pastor, right? And he he believed and preached the Bible. So that was how he knew uh, segregation was shameful. He says, okay, what the Bible says we're doing in these laws is shameful therefore I'm free to break these laws because right they're unjust right you see and that is really the only way to know what's shameful or not is, is does it line up with the scriptures does it line up with the, what we think is shameful as a people as an individual as a culture as a, com- a country as governments if it doesn't line up with the Bible right then it's something that's shameful and if if, if, if it does, then it's not. Right? And that's why Paul was in jail. Paul was in jail for the same reason. Look, look what it says, 2 Timothy 1, 12. And that is why I suffer these things. You see that? That is why I suffer these things. Paul is saying there's shame. Why I, as a Christian pastor, am experiencing Shame. All right? It's because of this. Right, so shame is specific. That's number two. Shame is specific. In Paul's case, um, the reason that he was locked up in jail, being shamed, was because he was saying a lot of things that were considered offensive in, in that culture and in, the, in that world. See, he uh, was doing his ministry being a pastor in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire said that the government is God, they taught that Caesar was Lord, and Paul comes along and says, "No, Jesus is Lord," and that was offensive to these people, right? Because they put government over over God. Let me ask you a question: Have you ever caused yourself shame? <laughs> yeah, teenager, I dyed my hair blonde eyebrows, everything. Man, I thought I was legit. I thought I was like a superstar, right? Uh, I, thought I, I thought that was super cool. And I look back upon that with great shame. And if I would've known myself back in the day, I probably would've beat myself up, I probably would've fought myself. I looked like a fool, right? Paul is not talking about that type of thing. He's not talking about something that you've done uh, that is shame. That 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 has caused you shame, right? He's talking about being shamed for being a Christian. That's what he's talking about. Experiencing shame just because you believe in Jesus and you believe the Bible. So, if you're a Christian, you ought to expect this in your life. You ought to expect from time to time to be shamed. Uh, for believing in Jesus. Look at First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 say, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles, just substitute folks that don't believe in Jesus, choose to do, carrying around in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, Lawless idolatry and they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and look here They slander you But they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead So what are Christians shamed for? Christians are shamed because we don't participate in everyone's shameful behavior Right at least that's what we're trying not to do right. We're saying I'm following Jesus now. I got a whole new life, a whole new code of ethics and uh, uh, things that I live by, and I'm not doing everything I used to do. I'm not following the crowd um, anymore. Uh, we don't agree with shameful behavior. That whole list of things that Peter just went through, we don't agree with that. As a matter of fact, we speak out about it. As We're collectively saying, We're not going to do that. Not that we're better than anyone else. It's just because we love God and we want to honor Him. Right? We've been rescued from those things and we don't want to go back to the things that Jesus died uh, to set us free from. We are shamed because Christians are shamed because of the message that Jesus is Lord and not anyone else, not some individual, not um, some group, not some community, culture. Not a politician, not a political party, not a government, nobody, but Jesus Christ in him alone. That's what, that's what verse 5 says here. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Um, the world has always heaped shame upon Christians. That is nothing new, right? This is what's been going on. We have to remember who we serve. We serve Jesus Christ. They murdered him. And you might be wondering, why don't we have any crosses in here? Give us some time. we got to go get them. They're going to be big. I remember who we serve, the man who was, who was murdered by the, by the Romans, who was publicly shamed. Right? Um, there's a guy named Dr. Carl Ellis. He's a, he's a black um, uh, theologian, Bible teacher. He is an amazing man of God. This is what he says. Christians are the most oppressed minorities in our culture today. See that? It's not black people. This is a black guy. It's not black people who are the most oppressed minorities. It's not Hispanics. It's not Asians. It's Christians. Christians are the most oppressed minorities in our culture today. And Christians are shamed for saying things like this as well. Right? And we don't want to be caught off guard by these things. Right? You don't want to be caught off guard. Uh, you don't want to be sucker punched with, with shame, but you want to be ready for it. I've been reading a, a biography about the uh, German pastor and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it's amazing. This has been mind blowing as I've been, been reading this. And um, he uh, was a young pastor during the rise of Hitler in Nazi Germany. And the biography details the increasing shameful treatment that Christians um, experienced under the Nazi regime, right? And this is how it always works. It's a slow boil. Slow boil, right? Because at first it begins with just shame and and, and mockery and things like this, and then it leads to excluding Christians, excluding them from the public square, right? And then um, shaming them even more for what they believe and how they live and then punishing them financially, punishing them legally, right? removing them from their, their jobs and their, their, their businesses, their, their, uh, um, their places of uh, occupation, maybe out of the universities. So, it seems right and okay and normal when the physical persecution breaks out, right? And this happened after years and years and years uh, in, in Germany, right? So uh, Bonhoeffer was eventually charged with crime, and he was thrown in jail. And here's a picture of his jail cell. We got it right here. That's where he was. That's where uh, they put him for just simply for being a Christian and being being a pastor. And he was taken to Flossenbürg concentration camp where he was eventually hanged for being a Christian. You see, they murdered uh, Pastor Bonhoeffer. And the shaming of Christians is, is what is already happening in the United States. Right? And, and they may say things uh, about us and about the church. You're a racist if you believe in Jesus. You're a racist if you believe in the Bible. But I think Dr. King and Dr. Ellis have already settled that. Let me go ahead and help out even more. You are not a racist if you're a Christian because Jesus made all ethnicities. He created ethnicity. I don't even like the word race, right? He created all the different shades, all the different peoples, and he came into the world and took upon himself a cross for the sins of all peoples, resurrected from the dead. By his spirit, he unites all these different Um, uh, peoples together into one body that is the church and our unity comes from Jesus and not in the color of our skin therefore we're one family in him you're not a racist right people say things like well if you believe that book or you still believe in that old religion then you're on the wrong side of history no no, you're not no you're not because it's all his his Jesus is the one who brought the universe into existence. That is space and time. And it's all his. He's the one who has a plan and purpose uh, for it all. You know, Christians are perceived as hateful or, or phobic. All kinds of different phobias. We've got all kinds of phobias. We're messed up. Right? They might have a sign that says, hate has no home here. Hate has no home here. And that is what's called virtue signaling, by the way. That is saying, I'm a good person, right? I'm not hateful, and if you don't agree with me, then you're not welcome here. Matter of fact, I've got a sign to ward you off of my property or out of my business or whatever, right? Listen, listen, let me tell you, the gospel is so much better than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so much better than that because you know what? Jesus says everybody's welcome here, even hateful people. Matter of fact, that's all of us. Jesus died for all of us who had enmity with him, who had hated him at one time, who thought we were lords of our own life, and he died to make peace between us and God and to love us to death, basically, to melt our hard hearts so that we might become his friends. That sounds like a better message to me. But there are other signs out there in our community, not just those. Jesus is my Savior and Trump is my President. You guys mind if we go there? All right, thank you. That's all I need is one person. Um, this is what's called virtue signaling. <laughs> it's saying, I'm a good person, I'm on the right side, and if you don't agree with me, you need to go away. You're not welcome here. Matter of fact, I have a sign to ward you off. Okay? And, you know, I just have questions about these things. What do you mean by Savior? Jesus is my Savior. Do you mean the Savior who died and bled for his enemies to make him his friend and calls us to do the same, that Savior? Are we talking about that Savior? Um, He is your Savior, but what about Lord? Because if he's your Lord, then that means he gets to boss you around. And he gets to tell you what to do. And matter of fact, your yard is not yours. It's his. Your grass is not yours. It's his. And can he boss you around? And if you say yes, it, okay, would you do it? Because here's the deal. Nobody is coming to know Jesus because of signs. All right? As a matter of fact, those signs push people away. All right? matter of fact, your yard, your grass will give way more glory to God than any sign ever, ever would. Right? See, we want to be, we be welcoming to, to, to all people. Think about this question. Can you remember a time when you were shamed for being a Christian? Can you remember a time when you were shamed for being a Christian? If not, then maybe you need to become one today. You can become one uh, today. Just join the club. You can, you can join us uh, here today. Or maybe you've been hiding it a little bit. Maybe in hiding. You, then you just need to come on out there, All right? Listen, listen. Everybody is already out there. There is so much crazy stuff going on in our world, and people just feel free to just do whatever and and be whatever. You know what? Just give up on trying to worry about what people think and just come on out there with it, All right? Because everyone else feels the freedom to do it. So why don't? Why can't we as Christians? All right. So if this is true, if Christians are shamed and will be shamed then why would anyone want to be one? Think about that. If this is what we're signing up for, for shame, then why would anyone want to sign up for that? And here's why, because shame is slaughtered. Have you guys ever been to a hog butcher? A hog butcher. Yeah. Well, uh, I have. I'm not going to go into detail about it here this morning, but, but here's what happens. Um, first they shoot it in the head several times and then they cut its throat it bleeds out and dies right and then they take the hog and they put it in a, a, a big tub of boiling water they pull it out scrape all the hair off it which is absolutely disgusting um, and then they begin to dismantle um, this hog and that's what Jesus does with shame he kills it he dismantles it piece by piece. Look at what uh, 2 Timothy 1.9 says. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. So Paul is trying to encourage Timothy here. Right? Listen, Timothy, uh, Paul was locked up in jail underneath the Roman uh, uh, Empire. And everyone knew, look, listen, it doesn't look good for Paul. Can you imagine the pressure that would have been on Timothy to distance himself? Matter of fact, all kinds of pastors and all kinds of Christians left the man because they knew association with him meant the possibility of death. Paul's trying to encourage him here. Listen, you don't have to be ashamed. This is what, and this is what he says. He reminds him of the great salvation that we have in Jesus. He said, now, when it says save there, all right, he's talking about salvation. And salvation includes a lot of stuff, okay? So it's like a big old table. You're at the hog butcher, and it's a place to lay out all the beautiful pieces of meat. You got the ribs, and you got the bacon, you got the pig tongue. You guys ever had a uh, pig tongue? It's, it's surprisingly not that bad. Uh, sounds disgusting. Uh, you know, maybe you need to try it. Um, pig tongue. But... On that table, salvation, which you could put a lot of stuff up there. And Paul's putting a lot of stuff on it. One of the things is calling. You see that? He saved us and called us with a holy calling. What does that mean, to be called? Here's what it means right here. Right, it's various meanings in in, in the scriptures. But right here it means when the good news of Jesus is preached, when, when someone tells, he says, all right, the gospel, that God from heaven, heaven summons them. He says, all right, you come to me now and I want you to find your acceptance, your affirmation in me and not in what the world thinks about you. That's calling, right? So when Christ is preached, that is Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. Do you know that crucifixion, one of the, the most horrible things about it, that was, it was meant to shame the person. This was a public event. The only thing that I can think is comparable is someone being lynched. And, and that was what it was. This person, uh, the criminal, was hung on a cross, nails driven through their hands. They were stripped of their clothes. They were beaten. They had to carry their own cross. Can you imagine our Lord and Savior Jesus hanging up there bloody, naked, and then insulted, the crowd hurling insults upon him, mocking him, And he was condemned as a criminal and died. You see, but he rose from the dead, Lord over all. And he summons all people everywhere to come to him and to find their acceptance and peace for their soul in him and not in people, being, people liking you and accepting you in fear of what they might think about you but in him and him alone. It says that he called us with a holy calling and not according to works. You see that? Not according to our works. This means that God does not call or save anyone because they're special or they're good or because they have a sign or a t-shirt or they're virtue signaling or anything like that. No, he calls enemies, haters, rebels, clowns, perverts, porn addicts, drug addicts, self righteous church people, spiritually confused people, to look to the cross where Jesus died for us all so that we all might be brought into his family, find our adoption, our acceptance in him. Listen, he loves everyone right where they are. I want to think about this. Do you think there's, for you personally, your own personal values and philosophy, is there anyone that you can't love right where they are. Because that is the prevailing mentality of our world. I only, I only like love the people who line up 100 percent with what I think. That is not what Jesus thinks, not what God thinks. He loves everybody right where they are, including Paul, who was a murderer. That's tough. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. You see that? He calls you with a holy calling. This means when he calls you to himself, he calls you to belong to him and to become like him in in, in all ways. Here's what this means. That when you become a Christian, it means unlearning everything that you thought was shameful and beginning to learn everything that God and his son the Lord Jesus says is shameful and beginning to adopt those definitions and those ways of living and thinking. Uh, Audrey was uh, my wife was making some uh, homemade potato soup uh, recently and I was at the counter All right, and I looked over and she had a heaping pile of fresh bacon bits and the bacon bits summoned me and I made a slick move around her. I went, I went, I went back door, right? And I went as I was going over. She went like this with the bacon bits, right? She she interceded and she she anticipated my move, and I didn't get the bacon bits, right? And that was awful. But I got I got some bacon for you right here. Second Timothy uh, one nine. If you don't like bacon, it's an avocado, whatever. Um, Look at what it says here. But according to his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. So catch the logic here. God didn't call us and save us because of us, because we're special or good or anything like that. No. Look what it says. But according to his purpose and his grace, which he gave to us a long time ago. All right? Before time began, Here, here's what that means: that God did not summon those who trust in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus because you're good, but He planned to call you before you ever did a single thing in your life. Think about that. That that is that is crazy, All right? And this means that He's Lord of history, as we said again. You're on the wrong side of history. Jesus is the one who has a plan and a purpose for history, who brings it uh, to pass. And God calls people to believe through the good news about Jesus because he wants. That is, you see that? It's according to his purpose. That is what he wants, his pleasure, the desires of, of his heart. It's, it's not about us. It's not about what we plan to do, or our faith, or anything like that. It's about the fact that He chooses to show grace to us, because He doesn't have to do that. God doesn't owe us anything. We aren't entitled to anything. We don't have His arm behind His back and got Him in a chicken wing and saying, God, you better do this for me. No. Uh, We come to Him as as beggars. And He gave us this salvation, this calling and holiness in Christ as a gift. It says that we were given this In Christ, this means that that you are in Jesus now if you believe in him. That that you belong to to him now, that he unites us all together in his son in one body as the church. And you know what Jesus thinks about his son? No shame. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you belong to him now. So you know what that means? You know what he thinks about you? no shame. You will never, ever be put to shame. Right? You are his sons and daughters, so <laughs> we don't have any reason to be ashamed. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter how much mud is thrown at the church and throw, thrown at Christians, because it matters what God thinks about us, right? When we shouldn't be ashamed of what he's not ashamed of. Look what it says in verse 10. This this has now been made made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Um, We've had a um, pig picking at our house several times. So a hog has been roasted, a a pig has been roasted, and we planned that. We had all the plans, big party, everything that's involved, and then the pig showed up. And we remove the foil, and it appeared in all of its glory, and we partook of the pig. And this is what Paul is getting at here, that Jesus showed up, that Jesus showed up, that Jesus is Lord of history, that God planned in Christ before the world began to save his people and to call us, and that he stepped into human history that the lord of history came into history to accomplish the purposes for which god had for all of history and it cannot be denied you know all of jesus's ministry was public it's been documented thousands upon thousands upon thousands of this is not something that was done uh, in the middle of nowhere, in the backwoods. Jesus Christ was publicly condemned under the Roman government, under Pontius Pilate. He was publicly crucified. All, this, is, this is evident. And his grave was empty. And he appeared publicly, risen bodily from the grave over a period of 40 days to over 500 people. Right? This is evident that he, he appeared... Not only that, but he abolished death. What good news is that? That Jesus Christ has abolished death. And here's why that's such good news. Death is where shame wins. For those who do not know Jesus, for those who do not find their acceptance, and their identity, and their approval, their likes in Jesus, and they find it in the world, when they die, all their thoughts, hopes, dreams, possessions, people are gone. It is over. And they are put to shame. This is one of the ways the Bible talks about um, death and, and, and the judgment, right? That they, they would be put to shame, but not for those who hope in Christ. You will never be put to shame. Matter of fact, when the day that Jesus cracks the sky and he, and he, he, he comes back to, to save us, right? He's going to stand. With all of us, and you will be vindicated before the world's eyes, and say, "Listen, I was never ashamed of these people. When when the world, when all you get, when when you heaped shame upon them, you did it to me. They were my people, right? And they will be glorified together uh, with with me. You see, death has been slaughtered in Christ because He rose from the dead. Not only that, look what it says. Look what it says." but has also brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, Jesus didn't just die to destroy death, but to bring life into the world, to bring immortality into the world. And here's, here's a little slice of what that looks like. When you come to believe in Jesus, you start caring less about other people liking you. You start caring less about other people approving of you. And you start caring more about his approval and his love and his acceptance um, in your life. The gospel, the good news about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is about him giving us life now. And that looks like setting us free from the grip of shame. Listen, we're all going to die in this life. And listen, until then, they may shame you. Right? They may slander you, see articles about you. They may write something in the paper about you. They may write crazy articles about you and, and, and twist everything uh, you're, all, you're all about. Uh, he was hanged. He wrote a final message to a friend of his, and this is what he says. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that, right? To know that, that we, as believers, that death has been slaughtered, abolished, and that when we die, we step right into the presence of our Lord. What? That is amazing, right? We're going to be in, in paradise uh, with Him uh, forever. So what should we do? What should we do as a result? Look, well, look at 2 Timothy one eight. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me as prisoner. Paul's saying, don't be ashamed of me, uh, uh, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. So what should we do? Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Right? Don't be ashamed of what is not shameful. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with believing in him and following him and living for him wholeheartedly. Don't be ashamed of his pastors. Don't be ashamed of his pastors who stand with him publicly to proclaim the Word of God, who seek to do that faithfully, not just the ones that, that we have here and are going to have more eventually, but the ones out there who are, who are faithful. Right? We, want to, we want to identify with them. Don't be like uh, the people that Paul says, everyone deserted me. Right? Don't be ashamed of his church. Instead, Share and suffering. See that? Share and suffering for the gospel. Right? That's what we're about. We're about proclaiming this good news uh, about Jesus. And here's why. Why would we want to do this? Why would anyone sign up for this? Here's why. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. When you suffer shame for Jesus, here's what, that, here's what you're saying. I have found something that is better than the praise of the entire world. I am willing to endure shame, mockery, slander, and even death like Pastor Bonhoeffer because I have found something better than the the entire planet praising me and liking me. Uh, Jim Elliott was an American missionary, and him and some friends of his were attempting to share the gospel with these Indians in the in the rainforest in Ecuador. In 1956, him and uh, he was one of five missionaries. They had made contact with these Indians and and, and they were trying to um, build a relationship with them, trying to establish rapport with them. And these Indians end up spearing them to death, all five of them in a sandbar, on a sandbar in Ecuador. And um, this is a beautiful story. Uh, there's a movie actually about it called The End of the Spear. If, if you want to look into it. And uh, there's been books written about it. But uh, in his journals prior to his death he wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I love that. That is so beautiful. You are not a fool. Don't be ashamed to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Right? So you cannot keep the praise of men, the acceptance of people, the likes, the little comforts of life. But if you believe in Jesus, you will never lose the life, the acceptance and the immortality, immortality that he offers. And we and we do all this relying on the power of God. That's what that's what Paul said in uh, in verse 8, that we share in suffering for the gospel, relying on on the power of God. And and that really is the flow of this passage, right? Because he said back in verse 7, listen, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, don't be ashamed, but share in suffering, relying on the power of God. And here's what he's saying, listen, God has already given you everything that you need to endure and to not be ashamed of jesus he put it within you it is god has given you the spirit right and you don't have to be afraid you don't have to be afraid because he's given you a spirit of power and this means here's what this means looking away from the approval of the world and looking to christ that's what it looks like to rely on 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 the power of god 2 Timothy 1, uh, 11 and 12. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, a preacher, apostle, and teacher. And and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to guard uh, what has been entrusted to me until that day. So what should we do? What should we do? Well, we should know Jesus. This is always the most important thing. Is your relationship with Christ? How is your relationship with Jesus this morning? Right? Do you have one? Do you have a relationship with him? If not, you can have one right here and right now. Here is your call to come and to believe in him. And all you gotta do is believe in him right here, right now, in this moment, and begin to know him. But if you already do know him, right? taking an active participation in that relationship, seeking Him, pursuing Him, doing everything in your, in your, your heart, soul, mind, and strength uh, to, know, to know Christ. Yeah, we press on to know Him, to pursue Him. And we need to be persuaded. You see the end of that verse? But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and persuaded that He is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. That just means eyes off self. Eyes off self. Eyes off of everyone and everyone else and eyes onto Christ. I'm putting all my eggs into his basket. He's able. He is able to help me continue to follow him, to power. It comes from um, his power and He will deliver us. He will deliver us from all shame. One day, there won't be all the pressure. One day, all the stigma and all the names and accusations and slander and mockery will all be done. right? And you will know before all the world that you are his son and daughter. And he says, well done, right? I'm happy with you, right? You never have to be ashamed again, right? Until that day, until the day we see him, until the day when all the enemies of the church are finally put to shame. See, that's what we need to be persuaded of. And that's what we want to respond to now.